me to the book of Colossians and chapter 3, and we're going to read together from God's Word. So turn with me in the Bible to the book of Colossians and chapter 3. It's on page 1002 in the church Bibles, if you haven't brought a Bible with you. Uh, And when you've found it, please stand in honor of the sufficient, inerrant, inspired word of our living God, Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 12 to verse 17. So let's stand in honor of the sufficient, inerrant, inspired word of our living God. It says this in Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen holy ones, beloved and compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that we would worship you now by spirit and truth that we would know of true worship by spirit and truth, that you would please fill us, Father, with your Holy Spirit, that you would renew us in our faith, we pray. Guide us into understanding the purpose of music and why you've given it to us as a church. Help us as Fifth Avenue Baptist Church to to learn and understand and see the purpose of music in the congregational setting of, of Sunday mornings. And Father, give us a hunger and a thirst for you as we remember your sacrifice as we come to the Lord's Supper table later. Father, our lives are yours. So, Father, we give them to you. Please use them, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. Uh, Hopefully, some of you, if not all of you, have a handout. This is more for you to take home than it is to refer to as I go through this morning. But I've done it so that we can digest. This is a big topic that uh, is huge in the life of any church and so that you can go away and there's some few uh, things to look at and look up if you have the internet or books to go and see or perhaps a CD to buy to go and use. Uh, and I want us to, to really digest this, this idea of what music and the purpose of music is in the life of Fifth Avenue because we do it every week. We come together and we sing and we have music. And it's not just a, a, a thing to fill time. It's not just something superfluous. It's something that is vitally important to us as a congregation and particularly to our times together on the Lord's Day as we come together. So we're going to be thinking about this purpose of music and how it particularly affects us as Fifth Avenue. And we're going to think about the broad picture that the Bible paints for us on this issue and work out how it applies to us as a local church. So if you're a visitor here today, then know two things. Firstly, normally we go through passages in a Bible book and we work through our, our way through a Bible book. But today uh, we are going to look at what's called a kind of thematic sermon. We're looking at uh, Colossians and John and Ephesians, but uh, normally we do exegetical preaching. But secondly, if you're a visitor or you're somebody that's thinking about joining us, know that the context of how music and what the Bible describes the purpose of music for being in the Bible, that it... it it, it segues itself into particular contexts. In other words, what music looks like here is different from what music looks like in India. 
it's different from what it looks like in another church in town. And so the Bible it, it is kind of detailed on the, the purpose of why we have music, but not so detailed on the practicalities of how it fits into context. So what I'm praying about today is that God will do through this time today an encouraging work uh, of us being encouraged to one another to be unified in the gospel and enjoying God together as a congregation as we think about the purpose of music. So that out of today, what will happen is that the Lord may use our time of music together week by week in church to encourage us in our faith as a body to proclaim glories to God about who he is found in the truths of the Bible. You see, music is uniquely qualified to help the body for, to, to, to give glory to God. It's uniquely qualified in the way that we, we practice music so that at one time we can have an outward expression of music declaring truths about God that give him glory and bring us into the harmony of the gospel. So that when we sing a truth like, to thine be the glory, great things he has done, in that one moment as we sing those lyrics, it is a beautiful, unifying thing that we take a biblical truth, the essential transformation of what happens then is that as new creations, as Christians, we sing that one truth together to glorify God and to unify us as a church. You see, music is vitally important. But in order for us not to fall into the trap that so many churches in the Western world are making right now and a culture that's developing increasingly in Western churches, in order not to fall into the trap of elevating the place of, of music to being all that worship is, we need to make definitions of music and worship and church. So firstly, uh, when I talk about church today, what I'm talking about in the context of this sermon is the description of this local church, Fifth Avenue Baptist Church. Not the universal church of all of God's people for all of time. When I use the word church today, I'm specifically narrowing the focus to being us as a local congregation. And that's important because as we think about how music applies to the life of Fifth Avenue, it will look and sound different to how other churches and other places and other points in history, even just in uh, different times of years gone past, will look different to how it fits in with the context of what we do week by week from this point outwards. And then secondly, thinking about that word worship, we are not limiting the word worship just to music. So many people, and we need to get out of this habit, use the word worship to simply mean music. But that is not the case. Let me give you the Bible definition of the word worship from Romans 12, verse 1. This is what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, worship is a life dedicated to loving Jesus Christ with all that we have and all that we are for the glory of God in humbly obeying his word. Let me say that again. Worship is a life dedicated to loving Jesus Christ with all that we are and everything that we have for the glory of God in the humble name of Jesus in obedience to his word. In other words, it's everything that we do. That means that music does not cause us to worship God. But worship of God causes us to want to do music. Do you see the logic of the way around that works? Music does not cause us to worship. 
worship of God, because of who he is, because we love him, causes us then to want to do music, to enjoy the truths about God, encourage one another, and glorify his name when we sing together. You see, you can be singing a song about God, but it not be worship. It could be empty and fleshly and just actions. But you can worship God when the root of the motivation of what you're doing when you sing is to say, I'm doing this because I love Jesus Christ. I'm singing this song because of a love for Jesus Christ. And that is why anything and everything in life that is good from God can be given and used as worship. Worship is rooted in our heart's desire to live for Jesus. So music can be a way that we worship and glorify God. But so can witnessing to somebody. Witnessing to somebody for the glory of God can be worship. Eating a meal, we all like this as Baptists, can be worship to God when it's done for the glory of God and rooted in the love for God. That's what Paul means in Corinthians. When you eat and drink, do all things for the glory of God. He's saying you can worship when you eat. We can worship when the love of God compels us and it's driven when we worship because we want to give him glory. And that's what the, the beginning of our passage begins with. Have a look at verse 12 with me. Do you see it? There is an order of this verse. Because we are chosen ones, holy and beloved by God. In other words, we should see that because he has first loved us, we then should worship. And how do we worship in the context of verse 12? By clothing ourselves uh, as Christians with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, etc. It's because God first loved us that we then worship. So what's rooted in worship is God first loving us. And then in partnership with God, because he acted first, we then respond. That is worship. And it happens all the way through life. The author D.A. Carson writes this. The heart of biblical religion is God-centeredness. In short, it is worship. Worship is God-centeredness, being centered on God. In both the, the purpose in God's creation and in the new creation, the end of every single one of us, the reason why God has given us life, is to worship him and glorify him. So how does that work? Now that we've defined church and worship, how does that work in terms of music and the purpose of music here at Fifth Avenue? What we've got to do is we've got to think about the connection between us and the gospel. You see, at the heart of the gospel is the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith is named after him. Our purpose in life is to follow him. And that's what we are as Christians, followers of this God-man, Jesus Christ. And the mark of being a follower of Jesus Christ is to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also... When you heard a word of truth, which connects to our passage from Colossians as well, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's our sign of authentication when we have the Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it in the praise of his glory. In other words, being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, means that we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And what results when we genuinely love God and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, the sealing of our faith, is that we want to joyfully sing praise to him when we gather together. We joyfully want to sing praise to him when we gather together. That's what the, the key verse in our passage today tells us. Have a look at verse 16 in, in Colossians 3 with me. Do you see it there? Let's just walk through that process of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, it's very similar to what we just thought about in Ephesians 1. First, the word of God dwells in the follower of Christ richly. Faith comes when we respond to the testimony of Jesus found in the Bible. And so for the believer, the Bible is, should be like honey. It should be rich. It should be sweet to taste. It's something that we should be desiring and hungering for and want more of. If we're a true believer, then the Bible, the Word of God, is going to dwell in us richly. It's going to be on our hearts and on our minds. It's, it's going to be outflowing from us. In short, it's going to be what we, we want to desire to listen to. And then the second thing is, you see what the Word of God does? It changes us. Through teaching, like in preaching or in Sunday school or small groups, and admonishing. And then what happens is together as a body, we come together to know Christ through the teaching of his words. And it responds in us wanting to teach others. In shorthand, what verse 16 is describing is discipleship. It's teaching the Bible from one person to another who are Christians, who are followers of Christ. And then what happens thirdly is that when we gather together, because singularly we have been brought to faith by the word of God, then corporately we've been taught and admonished the word of God in all wisdom, discipleship. We then thirdly want to sing out those truths that we've heard about in the Bible in joyful praise to God. That's why we come together in church. We come together to encourage each other. Having learnt the word or been given the word singularly, we join together corporately to hear about the word. And then uh, the resulting response is then singing. And what that means practically perhaps in, in church is that the, the, the place of the sermon might better be placed in the middle of the service. So that we get our hearts and minds engaged, ready to listen to God's word. But then after we've heard the word being faithfully preached, we respond to the word in singing. Maybe that's something we need to, to, to think about. But in the study for today, I, I want to, to, to give credit for what I'm going to delve into in a second to some people that helped shape uh, my thinking in terms of what the Bible teaches about music. So there are some guys like John Piper and Don Carsons uh, and some music leaders like Bob Kaufman and Michael Smith who helped me understand how the Bible puts together the systematizing of the purpose of music. So that when we think about the music, we need to understand what the goal is from it as we study the scriptures together. And so what it is to do, the purpose of music is to us to encourage each other in enjoying God more because we have heard from God in the Bible. See, the truth the Bible gives us in terms of what it says about God should then compel our hearts to then want to sing to him and gather together. But the Bible gives very little instruction practically about what that music looks like in ordering the way that the fellowship should spend their time together. It tells us that we should meet together. It tells us, like here in Colossians and in the book of, of Hebrews and Acts, that we should gather together regularly to encourage each other. It tells us that when we gather, the Bible should be taught to do discipleship. It tells us to pray, to eat together, to do discipline, uh, and to have believers' baptisms and to do the Lord's Supper. But even with those things, there is very little prescription of what the Bible tells us how that should practically look. So as we think about the, 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 the Bible's teaching on, on music, we need to be thinking that it, it is dependent on what the setting is for how the, the worship goes about, how the music is put in place. So even when Paul here, did, did you notice in verse 16 when he describes music, he, did, he has a threefold description of singing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Not because there was just limited to those three ways of doing music, 
but because he's wanting to suggest as he writes to the church in Colossae that there is a massive variant ways of singing praise to God, either spiritual songs or hymns or psalms. And what should be continuous through all of them, what should be consistent is what the end of verse 16 tells us. That whether you sing hymns or psalms or spiritual songs, all of it should come from a thankful heart to God. In other words, it's not so much about what the outward appearance is like when we think about music, but what's going on in each of our hearts as we do music. And so Jesus, in John 4, puts it like this when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman. Let me read to you from John 4, 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on the mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But listen to this, verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. All of that is not about what instruments you use or practically hymnals or screens or anything like that. It's about what's going on in the heart. It's worship through music, and it's telling us if we do it, it should be done, in other words, in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's not so much concentrating on what the music looks like for God, but understanding it's for an audience of one. That when we sing in Fifth Avenue, ultimately... It is to encourage one another, but ultimately it's for the audience of one. We do singing because it's for God. It's, it, it's primarily for him alone. And so our attention, our hearts and our minds in spirit and truth are to be focused on him when we sing and not on one another. The byproduct is that we encourage one another when we do that, but we must come with the attitude when we sing that this is for God in heaven and not for us here below primarily. That means that we don't ask for what we want, what makes us feel good when we think about music. So we don't go up and barrage Chip and say, Chip, I really want this, this, and this. Because if at the heart of that is you, then that is not what music is about. Whereas if you go up to Chip and say, Chip, I think we should be doing this because I think it will encourage us to sing and draw our attention to God, that is the right motivation. Do you see the difference? It's not about tastes. It's about worshiping God from the heart in spirit and in truth. And so the spirit is to be constant in the, in the believer. But as believers, we need to, 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 to realize that we got the spirit when we believed, but to ask to be filled with the spirit when we come into church together. So we say uh, it quietly in our hearts and perhaps even out loud, Father, fill us and pour out your spirit on us so that we're focused on you as we sing. Fill us with your spirit so we're focused on you as we sing. Let the truths of the Bible be evoked in us through our understanding in our minds of what the Bible says about you and let in spirit us worship you with our hearts and our affections drawing our attention to you. So what Jesus is telling the woman is worship is no longer going to be about a specific mountain or a specific temple, but it's now where the spirit dwells. And where the spirit dwells for the Christian is in us. We don't meet God in a temple anymore. We don't meet God in a mountain anymore. We meet God because he meets us by his spirit indwelling in us. And so what he's saying to the woman is, you worship by the spirit. You don't worship in a particular physical place. You don't worship in a particular physical form. You worship in a way that comes from the heart because the spirit is within you. So how do we know that's happening? How do we are going to know that we have the harmony of spirit of truth the answer comes when the Bible is harmonious with our spirit. 
when we look at the Bible and it tells us about God, who he is, and then the words engage in the mind of the believer so that then what comes out as we studied the scriptures is that it links with the, the, the affections of the Holy Spirit and our hearts are caused to want to sing out in praise. In other words, we are so burdened by the glory of God that we see in the scriptures, our hearts then want to worship God and sing out in praise. We worship God because we know about him through the Bible. And the Spirit makes the words of the Bible true to us. So worship is not ambiguous. Worship in, in, through music is not emotional highs and lows. But it's, it's about us focusing by spirit and truth on God's character and lifting up his name. Here's an illustration of the danger of what emotion can look like if it runs over the top of, of not doing music by spirit and in truth. Imagine if I said to you, I really love and appreciate God. I really love and appreciate God. And you said to me, why do you say that? And I respond with this. You know, I guess it's just the lighting in here and the piano music and the gold-covered pews and the green carpet. And there's just some sort of comforting thought about being in this room and that kind of piano playing that merely makes me love and appreciate God. If I'm taken to a place where because of the context of where I'm in is causing me to love and appreciate God, that would be weird, wouldn't it? It would be weird that I say I love God because of the gold pews or the green carpet or because of the way the piano is being played. I should love God because the Spirit of God has worked in me to know the truth of the Scriptures. And then when the Spirit and truth join together, I then want to sing out those truths that come from the Scriptures back to Him in praise. I love God because of God, not the context within which I come and find myself. Which means, if Diana ever plays a bum note, it doesn't alter my heart of worship. Because my heart of worship is not focused on by the, the piano playing, it's focused on who God is through the word and the spirit and truth coming together. But music is really important because it, it, it engages our hearts and minds to be infectious and is a tool to help us worship in spirit and truth. And what I mean by that is uh, God has made much of our time uh, uh, being in music in the Bible. And as Christians, we are to be encouraging each other when we come to, to, to music. And so we engage our minds when we read a hymn. And we engage our hearts when we sing a truth about God. And we express that through the music in, spirit, in a spiritual act of worship to God. And we are to let the Holy Spirit minister to us when we think about those truths and we let our hearts be affectionate in responding and singing those truths back up to God. But we've also got to be careful of two dangers. See, there is the danger of when we think about music, we just go, okay, if it's all about singing truths about God, let's make sure every single hymn is biblically perfect and biblically accurate. And that is to miss the point. Because what can happen is we can get some cold orthodoxy of just making sure the words are right and we understand them in our minds. But it's never impacting our affections, our, our souls stirring to be a loving God. But then there's the other danger of an emotional response of being devoid of all, of all uh, engagement with truths about God from his words. And what I mean by that is that there's this terrible habit of, of, in modern context, singing songs to Jesus that sound like a love song that you'd sing to your boyfriend or girlfriend. Do you know what I mean? If you could replace the name Jesus with uh, my boyfriend or girlfriend, it probably isn't a great song to sing because it's, it's it, people get delved into this, this losing the sight of God and just in about how I feel in the moments. And that's not right either. 
there's got to be a balance that the lyrics are biblical. They, they, they share to us the truths about God. And then the music combining with that, causing our hearts to take those truths and be affectionate to God and say, God, I want to love you more. I want your spirit more. I'm hungry for you more. And so what happens when that is going on is we sing a song like Amazing Grace. And we know the truth in our minds that grace is amazing, that he would save a wretch like me. We know those truths in our heart as we sing those lyrics. But then through the melody and the harmony of the music, we sing out that tune corporately so that our affections, our, our souls are stirred to say, this is truth that I want to sing back to you. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that you would save a wretch like me. And when that happens, we create an environment or God gives us an environment to encourage each other as a church in the gospel and to be unified in a way that glorifies God. See, the head and the heart impact one another when our minds are in the word of God and our hearts are wanting to give thanks to God, admonishing one another. So John 4 shows us that the praise of God uh, should be done in spirit and truth. And Colossians shows us how that impacts, in verse 16, on one another when we come to gather together to sing for God's glory. And we do it to encourage one another. We do it primarily for God, but we do it to encourage one another. That means that in this room when we sing, there is only one choir. We are all the choir singing to the glory of God. It means that what we do now is different from what we will do in the kingdom of heaven. When we're in the kingdom of heaven, we all lay down flat before God and sing him. When Jesus was on the earth, we would have laid down flat before him, worshipping him. When we were in the Old Testament times, we would have gone to the, to the temple to lay down flat and worship him. But now, in between the time of Christ's ascension and Christ's return, we come together as a body to worship him and sing him. And so, practically, what that looks like is that music should not be distracting, but helping us engage in spirit and in truth to worship and enjoy God. And so, Psalm 33 says this, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make a melody to him with the harp and of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. You, so, you see what happens there in that psalm? There are instruments being used to encourage truths about God to be given up to God. It is to be done skillfully. It is to be done well. So that means as your pastor, I want to encourage Chip and Diane and, and whoever else that God gives us to, to, to bless us with music in worship, uh, to understand that when they do that, they're never to be distracting. They're never to do something that's a, a performance before us. It's not about drawing attention to either Chip or Diane or to any other musician that's up here. It's about drawing all of our attention to give focus to God. Does that make sense? And so when we focus, it, it, these are to be tools. Chip is to be a tool to be used by God to focus us on the glorious truths of God that we sing about in our hymns. And what we're to do for one another is not to distract one another with being performing or, or anything like that when we do it. It doesn't matter whether your hands are by your sides or up raised like this. All of us are to be encouraging one another to focus our hearts and minds on God, to be challenging one another. Is the Holy Spirit working through us in spirit and in truth, when we decide to sing to him. See, when, while we uh, 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 think in a, in a little while about what this is going to look like, uh, we're going to do a corporate act of worship in a moment, which is uh, the communion table. And when we do that, there is two elements to it. Ultimately, we do it for the glory of God and reminding us of the sacrifice of Christ and the cross. 
His body broken to take the punishment that should be ours. His blood shed so that we are washed white as snow. And we, we have that symbolized in the bread and in the grape juice. But we have the deacons that help do that. They are tools to help administer the remembrance of Christ on the cross. And we come together in two ways when we do it. Firstly, we confess to God our sins to say, through the work of Christ, reconcile me, forgive me, give me a relationship with God again. But then also we do it as a body because we want to say, we want to forgive one another, we want to love one another, and we want to be unified in the gospel of Christ. That's what brings us together. And so this table that we have before us is an illustration of what music should be for us. That we come together as a body to encourage one another to worship God alone for the audience of one. Uh, But as we do that, we encourage each other by hearing each other's voices, by children seeing the adults around them saying, why are they doing this? And us to tell them it's so that we are showing that in our hearts we are thankful to God for what he's done. And so I want to encourage us to be thinking about that as we work this through into the lives of what it's going to look like in the order of service. Know that it's not particularly about whether we have certain instruments or certain styles or certain, certain hymns. It's about what's going on in our heart. It's about an affection that's going on in our heart to want to sing stirring songs to one another and to encourage each other to be focused uh, on God. And so as we come in a moment uh, uh, to sing, let that be the focus. Say, Father, fill me with your spirit. Father, fill me with your spirit so I'm not distracting, but so that I am focused on you. Father, bless those who lead us in music, like Chip and like Diane, so that I'm not distracted by them, but helped by them. So that as we pick hymns and songs, they resonate truths we've heard about in the Bible. And so that our minds believe them and our hearts affectionately want to sing them out in thankful praise to you. If you've been somebody that's been divided or used music divisively in the past, then repent of that. Repent of, of thinking about music in a divisive way. It should always be unifying for us. The purpose of music is so that we glorify God together and encourage one another because we are thankful for what he's done in Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart, then use this song that we now sing to repent of just doing it in the flesh. Use as we sing this song now time to repent of ever thinking about a way of music that you think is more important than another. But repent and ask, Lord, let me worship you in spirit and truth. Don't quelch the Holy Spirit if he's calling you to do that now. I'm going to ask the the deacons to to come up and stand up here. If you want somebody to pray with uh, 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 as we respond to God's word and we sing, then come up and talk to them. Ladies, if you want to find a lady, then come and pray with them. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, then come up and talk to me. I'd love to open the Bible so that you may see what it means to have the spirit in you and to respond in, in, in thankful joy. If you want to come and join us as a church, then come and let me know about that. I'd love to see you come and join us in the mission of this church and be encouraged as we come together Sunday by Sunday to sing God's praise. So I'm going to hand over to Brother Chip. As we sing now, let's sing for the glory of God. Let's sing in unison for the glory of God. And if you want to come and pray, then come and pray. Hymn 261, Lamb of God, please stand.